0: I think the other guy there advised Sly not to because we were just these hopeless guys and I think Pete turned up with a pen and I was with a piece of paper in between us. We wrote some notes but um, something in that meeting caught Sly's attention or, or gave us another chance and we're pretty fortunate that he uh, decided to work with us and you know continues to do so. So it's, uh, it's been pretty awesome.
1: Probably that whole uh, 2012 campaign had really been about trying to learn it as quickly as we could, and you know, if you look back at it at the beginning of that campaign, we were miles off kind of where we needed to get to at the end. So it was really a, a scramble, and you know, after that, it was really a good opportunity to take stock, but then you know, also put a whole bit planning into you know, just how uh, we wanted to go about it to to really dominate that that next cycle.
0: Yeah, that was a, an amazing experience, both of us would say probably one of the proudest moments of your lives to lead the New Zealand team or Aotearoa into the American uh, Stadium like we did. Yeah, there, there was that pressure, you know, in the past the people that have carried the flag into the stadium for Aotearoa haven't necessarily had the best record, so there was that added bit, but for us, yeah, I think we just used that as the kickstart to get into our work really and uh, it was just a yeah, moment we'll treasure uh, forever.
2: Peter Burling and Blair Chuuk are never far from the action, whether it's the America's Cup, Sail GP, or in their environmental work. But the spotlight for this episode of Broadreach Radio is on their Olympic sailing in the 49er. We take a look back on where it all began for one of the world's most successful partnerships, some of the challenges they faced in the early days when some wondered if they could actually realise their potential and how they went on to become so dominant. They delve into that golden period between the London and Rio Olympics when they were virtually unbeatable, what brought them back for a crack at another Olympic medal in Tokyo and how they dealt with the impact of COVID-19 and the postponement of the Olympic Games. Pete and Blair also give an insight into two of their most dramatic races they've been involved in the medal race at the 2019 World Championships on Home Waters, and last year's medal race at the Tokyo Olympics. It was a privilege to sit down with Pete and Blair and talk about their 49er sailing, especially as we don't know if we'll ever see them back in the boat at the highest level again. They clearly look back on their time in the 49er together with genuine passion and fondness, so I really hope you enjoy this podcast. (music) Well, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Peter Burling and Blair Chuk. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for Thanks, me Michael. I say back because uh, regular listeners to Broadreach Radio will know Pete and Blair were the very first guests on the show when it was launched back in April 2020. And you're also the first returnees to the show. Um, so it's a very significant, I guess, occasion. So now you guys are really far from the news and it was announced a few days ago that you'd re-signed with Team New Zealand for the next America's Cup. What's sort of the main thing that brought you both back for another campaign? Yeah, I think, you yeah, know, the America's
1: Cup's always had a pretty special place in um, yeah my, my heart in terms of, you know, sailing challenges and that's something that it's always, you know, incredibly exciting to, to represent your country as well, so... You know, I think both Blair and myself uh, were definitely pretty tired coming off the, the back end of the, the Olympic Games and you know, wanted a little bit of time time to just reflect on on the last year and, and how how, um, how amazing it was. But yeah, you know, now we feel like it's um, you know, really excited about the, the challenges ahead and, and looking forward to, to getting our teeth stuck into those things.
2: It does mean, though, that you won't be able to compete at the 2024 Paris Olympics. How difficult was it? Uh, to make that decision, to know that you'll have to miss that.
0: Yeah, I, I guess like Pete mentioned, um, we've always taken time between different campaigns, different projects that we've been taking on to uh, reflect on those, and then and then look ahead and and see where our priorities are as as people and as sailors. And um, yeah, it's been an epic journey on the 49er and, and the Olympics uh, up until now, and I guess. Yeah, like Pete said with the priority on um, the America's Cup with Team New Zealand and also, um, you know, one season under about now with SailGP. Uh, we've got a real, I guess, drive there to try and uh, get to the top of that fleet. Uh, so it's, it's been an awesome league. And then obviously our continued work with Live Ocean. So those things really means we've got our, our um, hands full again with a lot of excitement too. Really looking forward to getting stuck in. Um, and we just didn't feel that we could give the Olympics the, the time and energy that they deserve or, or require. So, um, yeah, a pretty tough decision when it's been such a big part of your life, uh, I guess. But that's, yeah, it's also some awesome uh, memories to, to reflect on. And, yeah, you never know where it will go in the future. So, um, definitely still keeping our options open, but, yeah, firmly um, in place for Team New Zealand and Sale GP over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, you did mention in that media statement you put out with the re-signing of uh, with Team New Zealand that it wasn't retirement from the 49er. How likely is it that we'll see you in a Forty-Nine again at the highest level? <laughs> um, yeah, I've got no idea to be honest. Um,
1: probably not very likely in the next uh, next few years. But no, it's something that you never really really know, though, do you? It's um, I think both Blair and myself massively enjoyed sailing the, the 49er for such a long period of time and still enjoy it and the racing's absolutely amazing and yeah, I think we're pretty fortunate as well through, through our career to have a, a really cool squad that kind of grew, grew with us in a lot of ways so uh, it's something that yeah, will definitely be uh, interesting watching seeing um, yeah, who manages to, to lead the charge um, out of that group to the
2: next games. Yeah, yeah. Well, your 49er sailing is what I'd like to talk to you today. There's obviously a lot to unpick in there. You've got six world titles, three Olympic medals and a period when you were untouchable, really. But let's start by looking at sort of where it all began. Uh, You'd obviously both achieved a lot as youngsters with national and world titles on your resumes you hadn't really done much sailing together or against each other, having come through different classes. But there's an e- email exchange between the pair of you from 2008, which sits in the Maritime Museum, in which Pete, uh, what, fresh from competing in the 470 at the 2008 Beijing Olympics, you wrote that you were keen to helm a 49er with someone and asked if Blair was interested And Blair, you responded, and I quote, the fast boat's got hold of you, eh? Ha ha, but seriously, I think that's awesome that you're keen on sailing a 49er. What was your response when you received that email and what sort of attracted you to the proposition of sailing with Pete?
0: Yeah, well, I guess um, Pete had just been to the Beijing Olympics with Carl and we had sailed against each other a little bit and actually uh, in a team together at the... Youth Olympic Festival in, in Sydney. I can't remember the year, maybe two thousand seven. So a year or two before that, um, and yeah, I had a lot of respect for Pete at that stage. What um, they have been able to achieve uh, early in, in their careers, as uh, you know, Pete's a year or, or so younger than me. Um, at that stage, for me in my career, I'd just come off sailing the Tornado with Bruce, um, Bruce Kendall, and before that, sailing the Twenty Nine. So I guess that's what I was meaning around the the fast boats, getting hold of Pete, that I'd made that transition um, a year or so before. But, yeah, uh, neat opportunity at that point. And uh, I guess what was to follow was just, you know, getting into it for a little bit and and finding our feet and then, um, yeah, seeing where the journey went from there.
2: Yeah, so did you give it like a a finite time frame or sort of more of a take-as-it-as-it-comes approach?
1: Yeah, well, I think definitely when we... first started talking to each other, it was really about trying to figure out whether we could um, get good enough to, I suppose, win win an Olympic medal for the country and have a crack at that Olympics. But obviously there's a a bit of a a feeling out period um, at the beginning, and uh, that was definitely uh, some pretty interesting times for us. Um, Looking back at it, it had been uh, quite a long time since the 49er had had a good representative in New Zealand. Um, when well, looking back to the days of, you know, Dan Slater and Nathan Hanley when um, they they represent the country in, in 2000, obviously the 49ers' first Olympics. Um, so it had been a, a little while since we'd had someone at, at that really high level in the class. So it was really a lot of rebuilding, trying to find IP. You know, I remember in those early days we actually got um, Nathan Aldridge and, and Ian Jensen over to 2NZ to NZ to try and uh, give us a little bit of uh, a little bit of help, just because essentially you know, probably been the favourite going into the, the Beijing Olympics in the 49er and it obviously won the Worlds going into the, the Beijing Olympics in the 49er and then um, yeah changed crews and, and was having a, a really good crack towards London and for us in that, that early days being able to actually train with someone really good and in the southern hemisphere was, was pretty invaluable but now definitely some pretty interesting memories of, of going to our first world champs in, in Lake Garda and you know, we're in a, a charter boat there, and um, yeah, looking back on it, we actually managed to, to win the Silver Fleet, but you know, at the same time, we're obviously a bit gutted we're in the Silver Fleet. You know, I think We got an OCS, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong here, Blair, but an OCS, and, and we snapped a, a rudder pin and in, um, in one race, so we kind of went through with two DNFs and just missed out on, on getting through. But I'm you know, saying that, it was a yeah, pretty, pretty amazing experience, uh, nonetheless, to, to get that first World Champs under about.
2: So yeah, you were 26th at those World Champs, uh, the first ones in 2009 that you did together, also 16th at Kiel Week. Were you guys sort of, you know, content to serve your apprenticeship, or were you both sort of impatient for success early on?
0: Well, probably somewhere in between, to be honest. We, um, we, by that stage, we already set our goal, and that was to try and win a medal for Aotearoa at the London Olympics. Uh, so we needed to, uh, keep learning fast and, and develop fast in order to get there. So, yeah, we knew there was a certain amount of time you need to put into the boat, um, to get the initial boat handling, uh, un- under your belt and get to a level where you weren't capsizing all the time, etc. But by that world champs in 2009, we'd done that really over the last year and, uh, we need to keep developing. So that was starting to look at all aspects of the campaign and, uh, Speed, etc. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's probably somewhere in between. But no, definitely weren't in the stage where you're saying, "Ah, oh, no, it's only been a year; it's going to take time." We were sort of looking at all options to improve as fast as we could.
2: Let's just break it back a little bit. Just tell us what your roles were on the boat, as, aside from the obvious. You know, who did what when it came to things like tactics and boat speed.
1: I think the forty-nine is a almost uh, not an easy boat in terms of how you, you distribute your roles, but you know, there's not not that many options or, or it was quite far down the development curve when we started sailing it. So, yeah, essentially Blair would mainly look after the boat speed and obviously trim the main, um, hoist the kite, trim the kite downwind. Um, and then, yeah, I'd be more in charge of tactics, uh, jib trim, and obviously trying to point it in the right direction and, yeah, you know, then within that obviously you have like a lot of other distributional responsibilities just in terms of you know organizing the the campaign and making sure everything's actually sorted because you know i think that's one thing that and you know, a lot of a lot of people talk about in in yachting but yeah you know, there is a obviously a lot that goes on in the background to try and make sure you actually show up to the, these venues on and get on the start line with a with a good shot at it going well so you know there's obviously a lot that that goes on in the background but yeah, probably the untold links as well. And there are, you know, people like obviously Jez Fanstone who became the high-performance director at in New Zealand and, you know, those early days when we first started sailing the 49er and, um, you know, later obviously got a lot more involved in, in their Olympic campaign and, you know, people like um, Dave Slyfield who, who got very involved in, in that Olympic campaign earlier on and just the, the amount of support we had was pretty incredible.
2: Did you ever have disagreements on the boat? You know, did one want to go left and the other wanted to go right? And you know, how would you settle those sorts of things?
0: Uh, well, I think we're both pretty uh, driven people and we're, you know, there's obviously you've got different ways of taking on. That's a pretty micro thing you're talking about. But in the big picture, we both want to go to exactly the same place. And that's to be the best sailors we could be. And um, at that stage, the goal was the London Olympics. So. Yeah, just that was what everything was to, towards, and um, I think right from the start we were pretty open, and with the, our feedback and how we, um, yeah, just both pushed each other, and and with that wider group or the sorry the tight group around us to to all try and work towards that goal really. So um, no, not too many disagreements, but if if they were, then we we talked about them and um, yeah, kept on aiming for the, the bigger goal.
2: So that upward trajectory happened in 2010-11, and 11, to the point you were second at the 2011 World Champs in Perth. You know, what was behind your improvement? Because it, it can take some crews years to get to that position.
1: Yeah, we probably had a, a little bit of a down, I suppose, before that as well. Um, you know, after that, that Garda Worlds out, our next 49er Worlds was uh, pretty soon after and a pretty incredible venue there in, in the Bahamas um we're actually myself and Blair we ended up uh 17th overall and it was kind of um probably one of the the i suppose more low lows of our 49er sailing career because you know effectively we yeah. thought we got a little bit hard done by in the first worlds where we had kind of gear failure and, and that, that ocs that missed us or dropped us out of gold fleet we thought we'd learned a lot uh, since then and you know at that stage there was quite a uh, harsh funding crossover on that getting in the top 16 so to, to miss that by, by one place was definitely definitely pretty tough and uh, that was something that yeah I think probably was one of the big reasons we actually uh, managed to, to get second of that next world because it really made us go back and you know, have, have a good hard look at ourselves and that you now do we want to kind of try and dig a bit deeper and uh, give it everything we had for that that last period and, and try and make a big step forward and even remember you know straight after that world's kind of going to miami and doing the um what would have been the north americans and then miami sale u.s sale week or whatever that they, they called at the time um but yeah it was pretty uh yeah, classic there because we literally did those events without a coach and we're just trying to get a little bit of racing under our belt a couple of young kids and a
0: big, in, you know, couple of young kids in florida
1: yeah <laughs> It was uh, pretty good fun, and, you know, we, we lent on a, a few people. We kind of met through, uh, you know, Forty 49ers and Australian mates and probably actually learned a whole week down through that period while having a, a pretty good time at the same time.
2: So how significant then was the relationship that you guys had with Nathan Alderidge and Ian Jensen, who you had as training partners for three years leading up to those London Olympics? You know, we had Nathan on an earlier episode, and he described you two as sponges. Yeah,
0: that relationship with um, with them or and the whole Australian team, really, uh, was really significant for us. It was probably the stage after the first two of our world championships, which we just talked about, hadn't been the best for us. Um, as we sort of formalized that relationship with Nathan Goobs and Coach Emmett and uh, Will and Sam, uh, who we probably ended up doing doing the most sailing with, um, yeah, that, that was really what, I guess, uh, was a springboard for us um, as we headed into I think it was twenty ten, right, Pete? Yeah, twenty ten, and uh, went to Melbourne Regatta after doing a good summer training with the Aussies, uh, and yeah, got our first podium there, and just kept on pushing ahead uh, towards the world champs later, or the following following year. So yeah, that was that was hugely important for us And um, At that stage as well, we'd um, brought Jez Vanstone into the coaching. Uh, side in, in a full-time war at every regatta for us, that was uh, hugely uh, valuable as well.
2: So another thing that Nathan said is that after those t- 2011 Perth World Champs, he realised that you two were the main challenges, uh, to the point he thought you would both win medals at the Olympics if you sailed to your potential. Did you guys think you are a good shot going into London?
1: Yeah, we well, obviously managed to get... Um... A whole string of podiums and i think we got third at the test event and yeah those couple of seconds at the world champs so we definitely knew that we're in with a good chance um yeah we probably definitely, we definitely knew going into it that we'd have to sail a very good regatta to to beat Nate, and you know, he, he put together a pretty good regatta so as it ended up um you know going to the medal race we couldn't beat him and third couldn't beat us so we both got yeah you know, quite quite big jumps over the rest of the fleet, which was, you know, I think uh, probably about what we deserved uh, looking back at it. Yeah.
2: You know, as you say, you got second there, um, but it was also New Zealand's 100th Olympic medal. You know, what was that whole experience like for a couple of young guys? Because you were still really young, but thrust into, you know, the public spotlight because of the significance of that medal.
0: Yeah, that was pretty awesome forever on, um, bottle caps in the old quizzes there who won New, Zealand the hundred, uh, New Zealand's 100th Olympic medal so yeah pretty neat um we didn't know or we knew it was a going to those Olympic games if that would happen but um with how it is on those few days we didn't know that we were going to be the 100th so yeah that was that was neat and just the whole experience um I guess being in London um made it pretty cool at that, at that stage there was obviously a very big Kiwi um contingent in London living in Expats, etc. So, yeah, the Kiwi House in London was awesome, and then returning home and just seeing what the Olympics does and how it reaches a lot of different people was, uh, yeah, I guess something we hadn't thought of and and didn't expect. It was pretty neat.
2: So, once that sort of euphoria, I guess, is sort of washed away, you know, what did you guys think you needed to do to go one better in 2016?
1: Yeah, well, I think for us, probably that whole uh, twenty twelve campaign had really been about trying to learn it as quickly as we could. And you know, if you look back at it, at the beginning of that campaign, we were miles off kind of where we needed to get to at the end. So it was really a, a scramble. And you know, after that, it was really a good opportunity to you know not sit back, but <laughs> reflect back and um, take stock over what we have actually done over the last uh, period. But then you know also a whole heap of planning into you know just how uh, we wanted to go about it to to really dominate that that next cycle and you know we've that's kind of what we we really set out it is at the goal to to go out in those first couple of events and, and try a, um, put our best foot forward from early and then you know just keep improving and you know that's pretty uh pleasing to be able to actually put a whole heap of small things uh into action that we're we'd kind of talked about and hadn't been able to achieve in the last cycle that that seemed to all add up to, to a pretty big difference. And, you know, that was kind of even things like, um, you know, we ended up changing coach from, from Jez to Hamish and Jez probably more sat in an advisor role and um, we probably changed how we using Dave Slyfield a little bit more and him being kind of a, I suppose, uh, almost an outsider that would just challenge every aspect of the campaign. And... Um, no, it was pretty um, pretty cool to be able to, to plan something from from a really high level, but with that ambition of, of getting to a whole other level again.
2: Well, that re- leads actually quite nicely into my next question, because people often talk about you two as being really methodical. And uh, Hamish talked about this incredible intensity only a few people are aware of. Um, but in researching for this podcast, another person who had a close relationship you, with you in the early days said you were, and I quote, hopeless when it came to details and planning. <laughs> what changed? You know, what? how did you go from being these couple of cruisy kids to ones that would leave nothing to chance?
0: Well, yeah, I don't think we were, there was definitely stages when we were still uh, maturing and um, potentially didn't have all the processes in place and it, that took some good people to come around us and help, help funnel that the energy, I guess. But we were always very ambitious and always were striving to learn and be better people and better sailors. So that, that was always there. But yeah, there was some, definitely I, I think I know the meeting. Well, um, yeah, Pete and I know that meeting where that was said. And it was after the tw- I think it was the 2010 World Champs. Right, Pete? The ones in Bermuda? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, and we'd um we've got back and we're debriefing with Nathan and um and D- Dave Slyfield actually sat in on it with a guy Chris uh, forget his last name from HBS and Z to see if um yeah maybe Sly was going to start working with us at that at that stage and uh, I think the other guy there advised Sly not to because we were just these hopeless guys and I think Pete turned up with a pen and I was with a piece of paper in between us we wrote some notes but um. Yeah, something, something in that meeting caught Sly's attention or, or gave us another chance and pretty fortunate that he uh, decided to work with us and, you know, continues to do so. So it's, uh, it's been a pretty awesome relationship right from uh, way back then.
2: Would you describe yourselves as, you know, as Hamish would say, this incredible intensity and, and you are incredibly detailed in all your planning? Yeah. <laughs> Uh,
1: yeah, I think in some regards, yes. and um, In some regards, you know, you've still got to have a, have a really good time along the way and really enjoy it. So, you know, definitely with all these things, it's, a lot of it's about balance, right? You've got to be able to, you know, push um, push super hard at times and um, yeah, then obviously fatigue plays a pretty big factor, but, you know, then at times you've got to be able to back off and, and rest up and, you know, get ready to race. And, you know, I think that's something that, um probably juggling at a few different commitments is we really taught us that ability to you know if you need to get something done to be able to get it um, done and put a whole bit of effort into it and really really do a good job of it and you know that's something that yeah i, th- I think we do a, a reasonable reasonable job of at times but yeah then i think yeah you've still got to get out and go for a surf every now and then and actually make sure you're having having a whole bit of fun along the way cause, if you're not here, enjoying the enjoying the journey. Um, it's a pretty
2: long one. Yeah, you know, I can certainly see the enjoyment. What really started to kick in because that obviously worked. You know, you started an incredible run of success in that Rio cycle. You know, starting with the 2013 European title in Denmark, and then you won your first 49er world title title later that year in Marseille. What was that moment like for you? The Marseille World Championships was, yeah, pretty
0: awesome uh and i think made more special that we had uh marcus and josh on the podium next to us uh and alex and molly winning the the fx so yeah that, that was awesome and um you know we knew we wanted to get off to a good start in that campaign like pete mentioned before uh the the planning had been pretty pretty thorough but we wanted to get out and get into those uh europeans at Aarhus and then the world champs and, and get off to a good start and we we certainly did that we were uh, but those world champs in, in Marseille were actually was the first regatta with Hamish for that campaign. We used him one other time way back before London and uh, Melbourne, um, which was pretty fun. But yeah, that was the first time in that campaign. So that was a, that was a
2: significant regatta. Well, knowing Hamish, he'll probably claim all the credit, right? So you, <laughs> you, di- you didn't stop winning in those four years. You know, how much was that part of the plan to completely dominate? Because in that 2015 and 16 period, you'd you'd usually won the regatta before the medal race. Yeah, I think one of
1: the things um, they didn't say about that Marseille Worlds as well, like probably most of the stress was actually uh, in the evening during that event, watching the the America's Cup. Um, you know, we'd obviously been up in San Fran and uh, competed in that that youth AC and. With a you know, pretty similar bunch of people that we sail with in the Cup team now, but that was, uh, you know, we were, during the first probably what four days of the Worlds, um, every night we we're kind of you know, staying up late to, to watch a, another race, and that was uh, almost just as big a you know, roller coaster watching that as to uh, actually sailing the World Champs. But I was, um, yeah. But carrying on with your your question, uh, yeah, it was definitely something that. You know, we I wouldn't say we're worried about um or didn't have the goal of of trying to get on an unbeaten streak, but we definitely did want to put our best foot forward uh, in every event we went to and you know, really um also not take risks sorry, not be afraid of taking risks to, to keep improving with the, the big goal in mind and uh, so there were you know, a lot of events along the way we probably went into it slightly on the back foot for, for whatever reason, but that was uh, incredible the way we managed to, to keep pulling it together. and um, Yeah, I think it just shows you how, how detailed we'd actually got in, in sailing the 49er as well at that point.
2: Well, certainly back foot is probably a apt description. Uh, Blair, tell me about an event at the Olympic venue in Rio when you turned up a day after competition had even started.
0: Yeah, that was... Uh a pretty classic thing probably um yeah something we certainly both remember uh, right in the middle of that run i guess end of 2014 uh we'd been put up for world sailors uh of the year so for the award we went to the um ceremony in, in Palma Mallorca in, in Spain and then uh yeah, ended up i think Jimmy Jimmy Spittle ended up winning those awards but we ended up into quite a big celebration a great group of sailing people there that we don't normally get to hang out with so it ended up into yeah, quite a big, big night, uh, not much sleep onto the plane, uh, straight to Madrid Airport. Um, anyone out there that's been to Madrid Airport, it's a beautiful airport, but if you end up in the wrong terminal or you have to transfer terminals, it's quite a mission. So we had this huge transit and I literally just made it on our flight to Rio. Um, so finally got some good sleep on that flight, turned up there, rigged the boat up, the South American Champs had actually already done one day and we were kind of in cruising mode when we're rigging the boat up and we were thinking oh we're probably going to miss two days and then we'll do the last two days anyway and then we were there for a, a bigger training period but we I think most of the way through rigging up the boat and it sort of became apparent that we can make that day so we sort of started scrambling a little bit more and um got out there and then yeah ended up sailing a pretty good regatta and um taking it out after carrying uh I think we dropped our worst score um and carried another two twenty-six points so yeah 52 points in total we carried and, and still managed to win so that was a certainly uh, yeah something that will stay with us for a while pretty classic
2: do you think then that other teams were intimidated by you you know putting you at an advantage even before you went racing
1: um yeah i personally never really uh worried about that side of it or or thought about that side of it too much you know I think is definitely the you know whether other teams are intimidated or or give you a little bit more space because of um what you can do or or whether it puts a target on your back in a lot of ways as well when you are slightly further back people kind of make your life a little bit harder than it should be but um it's just something I think we went out with every race and tried to race um as clean and, and fair as we could and make sure we had Plenty of friends around the fleet, and you know I think it's something that you know if you if you race pretty fair and you, you have heaps of friends out there and um you know enjoy enjoy the racing that you you're actually doing it kind of does um make it even even a little bit more special.
2: So it's an incredible record. So you you didn't finish first in only one regatta between the London and Rio Olympics, which was a shortened pre-Olympic regatta in Rio. I think on the eve of the games when you were third you know it really wasn't that important but how nice would it have been to go through the entire cycle having won every race uh, every event rather
0: every race would be good but um no I, i don't think it affected us too much like pete mentioned um that run was just something that ended up happening for us the goal was always a gold medal at rio and that was what everything and every decision was towards so um those decisions we made before that regatta and what we got out of that regatta all helped us towards that. So, um, yeah, that is what it is. And um, I think Nathan and Goobs that might have got their confidence up a little bit. and um, But we knew where we stood and, um, yeah, we, we proved that a, a few weeks later. So, um, yeah, that, that was pretty,
2: pretty awesome. So, no, it didn't affect us too much. So you get to the Rio Olympics and the sailing world expects you to win, not to mention the New Zealand public. What was that pressure like? Um, because I actually read somewhere that you enjoyed pressure.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think you get used to it, and I think both of us, you know, really enjoy that that challenge of, you know, actually having to perform when it when it matters. And probably for, for both of us, we actually think we normally perform a little bit better when we kind of have to. Um, and, you know, it's something that. I think we we're both really excited to get racing to be honest and just put um, everything we'd learned over the last four years and all the, the hard work all the planning uh, and try and put it into action and, and see what we could do and you know, I think that was one of the really enjoyable things about the, the Rio Olympics is that pretty much you know, all that that planning um, kind of came together and we probably saw one of the, our best ever events and that's you know, pretty cool to to be able to kind of see a, a goal from from four years out um, come to fruition like that, and you know, it's um, such a such an
2: amazing event for us. But just take you back slightly, and in terms of that pressure, it was amplified when you were named joint flag bearers for the New Zealand team. Blair, just tell us about that experience.
0: Yeah, that was a an amazing experience. Uh, both of us would say probably one of the proudest moments that of your lives to lead the uh, new zealand team or aotearoa into the Mar- american uh, stadium like we did uh and in, into the olympic games was yeah so special and um all the nz athletes that we were representing there and the country was it was neat so that was probably like five or six days before we were going to race so i think if, if anything that probably helped us because we had that big buzz of that and dealing with all of that and then we just concentrate you know had the next day and then just concentrated on the job at hand really so yeah th- there was that pressure you know like in the past the people that have carried the flag into the uh stadium for Aotearoa oh, haven't necessarily had the best record so there was that added bit but for us yeah I think we just used that as the kick start to get into our work really and uh, it was just a yeah, moment we'll treasure uh, forever
2: well, it certainly didn't seem to affect you because you won the first two races of the Olympic Regatta and then went on to win by 43 points, which is the largest winning margin since the present scoring system was introduced in the late 1960s. Um, Pete, you mentioned that probably that was the culmination of those four years and coming together. W- was it joy or relief to win gold? Um, you know, w- What was that experience like?
1: Uh, well, I'd never say... You end up getting to the end of an event and feel relief. Um, you know, it's definitely something that I think nearly all events all we go through, you kind of always really enjoy that, that competition and, um, you know, for us it was just a for me both of us, it was a, just an amazing feeling to actually have it all come together like it did and you know, you're definitely not going into it after any records or, or even really worried about about those records because you know it's something that you know by the time you've actually won the, the gold medal you, you're actually already celebrating if that makes sense so we kind of knew we'd won it um, with two races to go so it was something that was pretty nice to be able to just you know enjoy the, those last couple of races in Rio and um, even to be able to cheer on some of the other athletes probably a little bit more than you'd normally be able to do. Um, yeah, watching Jason Gemma and the NACRA um, come so close to a medal and then see seeing Joe and Polly um, actually racing, I think just before us right there on that middle race day. Um, yeah, I think it was just before us, yeah. was, yeah, made it you
2: know, pretty special as well. So you guys take a bit of a break from 49er sailing uh, to do the 2017 America's Cup, and then your return into the skiff in 2018. Was there ever any question you would return for another crack? Because Hamish certainly didn't expect to see you back.
0: No, I I guess we did um, park it or we were straight into the America's Cup and then from there we went straight into the ocean race. So I think it was probably halfway or was halfway through the race and um, especially by the time we got here to NZ on the race that we knew we were going to, to have another crack. But I guess, like anything for us, we want to. You want to have that time. I think we talked about this earlier as well. You want to have that time to plan ahead, and we hadn't done that. and We want to make sure we were motivated and um, doing it for the right reasons, and going to give it the the time it needed. So, uh, yeah, we made that decision in early 2018, um, and then yeah, finish off the ocean race, and then pretty well. I think we announced it soon after that. So, um, yeah. There, there was a I guess, the middle bit of time where we didn't quite know, but um, yeah, once we committed, we certainly went and um,
2: full steam ahead. So, so given those results you achieved in that last cycle and your other commitments, were there ever times when you sort of doubted that you'd be able to get back to the top?
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I definitely think
1: we always knew it would be a challenge, and you know, I think when we're doing the planning towards that campaign as well, we always knew that. Um, we probably wouldn't be able to do it if we tried in any other kind of format to, to, the, the, alum, sorry, to the 49er. Um, so it was something that, yeah, and I think me and Blair were both, um, even from the, the first day we jumped back in the 49er, you know, just really enjoyed the, the racing. And one thing we were very lucky of is that we had a, a pretty amazing group of, of yachting in New Zealand that were uh, also setting the bar pretty high with the, the likes of Logan and Oski and Isaac and Will. So we had a pretty uh, amazing training group at home. But, you know, we always, um, you know, I think knew that it was going to be tough getting straight back into to an Olympic event where everyone was you know, trying to push the bar forward as quickly as they could, um, considering we hadn't sailed for, for whatever it was, two years. And, you know, in that time, probably didn't keep the, in the best, um you know, physical shape sailing around the the world on a, on an ocean race um you know, definitely pretty hard on the body doing that kind of thing but you know we definitely was knew we're up for the challenge and you know i think um, we we're really to get a shock but you know i think we kind of confirmed how hard we thought it would be that that first event um, back into things uh, in palmer um, where i think we ended up um, fifth or something like that seventh or something yeah or seventh and you know we actually got a, an OCS on the last day which probably cost us a, a shot of you know, getting a little bit higher up the leaderboard um, and then we ended up I can't remember whether did we go home before the Europeans and we definitely did. No we raced in Genoa I remember a really light win. Yeah so we, we did another event in Genoa and that was kind of our first podium back and then I can't remember whether we went home and came back before the, the Europeans and in weymouth which we decided to stay on and do as well and you now it's pretty um i suppose we were, we we're pretty excited to, to actually be able to put together a, a competition you know, that early in, in the cycle back and, and be able to get, get a win under our belts and you know, i think that that gave us a, a lot of confidence kind of um that we we're actually you know on the right track to, to be able to win another medal for our, for our country
2: so yeah, you, you, you won that one in Weymouth and then you backed it up by winning the Olympic Test event in Inoshima later that year. You know, what, How significant I guess were those two results for you?
0: Yeah, like Pete mentioned, that we'd done a heap of
2: learning through
0: those uh, well, for the six months prior to that really, and those two events in Europe. First off, but it was nice to get the win under the bow in Weymouth. Those conditions there were quite different than what we were going to get in Inoshima, so I think that Oshima one was uh, definitely the one that we knew we were on the right track and, and we'd started to get um, back to sailing the boat how we knew we could and in some areas it had stepped forward, which we, we knew we were going to have to do as well. So, yeah, that was great to get some experience racing there um, and to get to a level uh, as we sort of headed into those last two world championships in, um, in Auckland and Geelong.
2: Yeah, let's talk about the, those world champs. Firstly, the the Auckland ones in 2019. Um, the results showed you won a fifth world title together. It was probably the most dramatic though. Just talk to me about that last day, because you broke your tiller extension and withdrew from the the penultimate gold fleet race, and then capsized in the middle race. I, you know, from an outsider, it didn't look very good for a period then. <laughs> um, yeah, no,
1: it was definitely. something you're always pushing as hard as you can really in these boats and now we probably didn't quite get off to the best start in the in the world actually in the first race um, we capsized as well and kind of went from first to about 11th Um, and then i think we might have won the second one so we kind of probably went from what should have been a pretty amazing first day to a little bit of an average one Um, and then it kind of felt like we're always um you know bouncing in and out and the germans were also sailing a, a really good event so you know we kind of had, had a pretty good or well, we definitely knew we had a pretty good battle on our hands um you know we sailed a very good kind of second to last day which got us back up into the lead which was um yeah pretty amazing to to be able to lead an event like that on home waters and still um Really cool to be able to actually have a, an Olympic class event like that, like that at home waters, where you could kind of have your friends and family, you know, out watching and, and cheering you on. And you know, it was pretty amazing for for our sport really to be able to showcase what what we do on a, the Olympic side, actually on on home waters. But yeah, then going to that last day, we had a reasonable first race. I think we might have got third or something like that. And then yeah, the last race we were going pretty well. It was actually a pretty windy kind of um, northeast easterly and we we're just standing right under ring total so it's pretty uh, shifty and, and tricky but and we we're going all right and then, you know, up making a mistake and um, snapping the tow extension and kind of lost the lost the part we'd normally fix it with, um, you know, at that stage which meant we were just miles behind so we kind of knew we weren't going to catch up to <laughs> anywhere near where our drop was uh, at that stage so we thought we are actually better off just, you know, relaxing and, you know, yeah, you know, that stage we had one more gold fleet race i might have got the races around the wrong way that might no that's there. right yeah spot on we had three races that day and then the middle race right two races but it was the first race that it yeah so the, the mid- first race yeah. we, we capsized and then the next race we ended up getting a, a third right probably yeah third or second i think something out like there yeah anyway second or something like that yeah. we kind of meant we ended up going to the middle race with a few points under uh, up our sleeve, but um, probably not quite as good as we we would have hoped. Um, yeah, and then obviously I ended up falling out of the boat halfway through the middle race. I don't think we capsized. Did we capsize in that middle race? Please? No, it just fell out, just fell out. What, <laughs> what was... Not quite uh, a capsize, no drama, yeah, 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 right at the top end of uh, comfortable sailing. So it was um, yeah, something that. I think both us and the Germans kinda of knew that we had to push super hard but, you know, one mistake and you were kind of straight at the back of the fleet with a capsize and I think half the fleet probably would have capsized by the by the end of the race and you know, for a medal race that's a pretty unusual thing with you know, the top top ten people in the world at, at that time. Um, so it was yeah, something that yeah, you know, I can't remember the last time we had such a such a windy medal race with so much on the line, but that was pretty incredible to be able to Come back like we did and you know, finish right behind the Germans to to take the win.
2: So would that be the most cherished of your six 49er world titles? You know, given that drama and and the fact you did it at home.
0: Yeah, it was certainly pretty awesome. Like Pete mentioned, all those all those things earlier about racing at home and whatnot. But yeah, the elation uh, because of the drama in the middle race was uh, yeah certainly certainly pretty awesome, and you can see it on our faces when we crossed the line in those photos. Now it was. Yeah, absolutely unreal. And um, then come back home or back ashore and back to the club where we first ever basically sailed the 49er out of um, and had done all, you know, all of our training for all of the inter- international stuff to yeah, come back home there knowing you have just won a, a world title
2: was, was awesome. So then when you're sixth title in Melbourne, about three months later, you get named for the New Zealand team for the Tokyo Olympics. And then, of course, a little thing called COVID comes along and the games are postponed for 12 months. You know How, how much did that affect your plans? Because you're sort of busy boys at the best of times and had a couple of things coming up, like the America's Cup.
1: Yeah, definitely um, made for a pretty interesting 2021 um yeah i think at that stage we were pretty well, obviously very happy with where we we're at kind of coming off the back of um two world championship wins and you know we had our what was going to be well, what ended up being our olympic boat kind of sitting in the in our shed um pretty ready to go and kinda of had a lot of our gear um pretty ready to go down to down to the last kind of couple of things to choose between and you know we we're pretty pretty excited to to get on and start racing the Olympic Games so we could kind of um, focus on the America's Cup 100% beyond that. But you know, then, like with everyone in the world, I suppose you know, COVID really flipped everything on its head with you know, the Olympics obviously getting delayed. Um, you know, at that stage, I think there was a lot of uncertainty as to whether the, the Olympics would even get rescheduled. Um, so, yeah, for us, that definitely meant putting everything on hold in the, in the 49er and just concentrating 100% on the the America's Cup, which obviously got a lot trickier through that that COVID time as well. And, you know, that was, um, you know, pr- pretty sad to do considering, you, you know, we're you know, really, uh, really happy with where we're at and where, where all our gear and kind of the level we're sailing the boat to, to have to park everything and kind of let the... I suppose, let the level of, of your sailing kind of decrease so much in that, that 49er and yeah, then have to obviously try and rebuild that that again afterwards, which was definitely made for a, a pretty um,
2: pretty busy 2021. So did you feel ready going into the delayed Tokyo Olympics?
0: Yeah, well, I guess like Pete mentioned, we always knew it was going to be difficult building up for an Olympic Games and in four months we've done a little bit of sailing in the back end of um 2021 uh 2020 but um yeah it was still going to be challenging from we know how much time you have to put in the boats just to get back to that level um added to that was the fact that there weren't that many regattas on which is normally how we would get you know battle hardened I guess by just getting out there and doing racing races and racing against the best guy uh, or teams in the world so yeah, I, by the time we went to Tokyo, I, I think we would say we've, we felt ready. Um, we'd given it a huge push. It was um, something that, we, yeah, after the America's Cup, we pretty much just got straight into it. And um, as with when we got into it the first time, we're lucky that we had that good group of uh, Kiwi sailors and um, Leonard and Ibu, sailing for Japan, but who were in New Zealand a lot too, and some more younger guys um, really there to push us. And, and uh and help prepare so yeah we, we gave an absolutely good push over that those four months and going to um Tokyo yeah we, we knew that if we sailed well we, we could win so uh yeah I, I think it'd be fair to say we felt pretty prepared
2: yeah and it was another dramatic uh medal race just talk us through your view of that one because uh, you I think you went in with a slim sort of four point lead over the British. Um, but had to set, settle for second on count back after the Brits pipped the Germans on the finish line. I actually went back and watched the highlights of that medal race the other day and, look, it couldn't have been any closer on the line.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was definitely uh, probably pretty interesting all week, to be honest. Um, you know, it was something that, you know, on the first day of the event, um, you know we had a race abandoned and then kind of like you were starting the the event on the second day and you know, I think very much like Blair said it was quite an interesting event just in the fact that pretty much everyone there hadn't really raced each other for such a long time so you know if you compare it to a normal event where everyone's quite um, battle-hardened and everyone's quite consistent in their, their approaches you know it seemed to be one that took everyone a little bit of time to, to kind of find their feet if, if that makes sense and you know we really felt like we were learning and improving, um, again, the whole way through. But, you know, I think, having said that, you know, we are very happy to, considering everything that happened to to get into that middle race in the league with a, a few points up out of sleeve, albeit we would have liked a, a couple more. But, you know, we felt like we had um, yeah, every chance to win it and, you know, to be that close um, and obviously miss out, you know, coming from... Uh, a position where we were in the, the gold medal position, kind of at the start of the last downwind, was uh, yeah, something that you always look back on. <laughs> I suppose those couple of little moments during the event that could have such, so easily rolled the other way, but you know, I think that, that's yacht racing, and you know, you've got to you know, take your hands off. Hats off to the British to, for putting together a pretty amazing event, and you know, for us, obviously, you've got to be incredibly happy to, to get another Olympic medal for our, for our country as well. And, you know, be it both of us would have really liked the other colour. You know, we're still super proud of of actually, you know, winning that that third medal for our country.
2: Yeah, that was the thing that sort of came through for me. You know, I was with with you guys in in Tokyo, and you talked about that pride that you had for about winning a third medal. But is there a part of you that sort of looks back on it and think, you know, that's the one that got away?
0: No, I don't think so. Or everything in life happens right, and you make decisions at the time and um and you know how the with coven how the uh i guess the build-up was flipped on its head like pete talked about and no i think we're really proud with the effort we put in after the america's cup to get the best prepared we could be and then like pete said we got ourselves with a chance of winning in the medal race and um and then yeah it just wasn't quite to be but the yeah I, I think it's all incredibly proud it's uh yeah it's an olympic medal and um yeah we've loved the journey the whole the whole way and uh you know, even with how we went out in that last race, we went out, um, you know, nailed the start to the right-hand side, and we wanted to do that, we wanted to have things in in our control, I guess, and trying to um, just put our best foot forward, and if it didn't work out, it didn't work out, but at least we'd given it a good shot, and um, yeah, it turned out the other side was slightly better to the top mark, and we had to fight for the rest of the race, Um, and if it had been the other way, then we uh, would have won a gold medal, so that's that's the way it goes, and we brought things into our control. So, no, incredibly, incredibly proud.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, it was an incredible kind of um, performance again for you guys to bring back another medal for the country. It, has, it was your last race, and we're obviously, we talked about earlier in the, in the podcast, where, you know, we're hoping it's not the end of your 49er sailing career. But, you know, big picture, you know, how do you look back on those 14 years or so that you've had together in the boat? Yeah, I think it's been
1: um, pretty incredible, Um, just in terms of probably how much both of us have um, grown as people through the through the duration of it, and how many experiences you've had, how many cool people you've met along the way, and you know got to race at the highest level over a long period of time, which is something something pretty cool. And yeah, I think that's definitely, yeah. I think we've, we've kind of said that, you know, never say never in terms of, you know, always really loved sailing the 49er, really enjoyed the, the racing and, you know, I think that's part of it for me that you're probably going to miss the most is that kind of really, um, really fun racing that, that goes with uh, of sailing that boat. But, you know, we're really excited about the, the challenges, the other
2: uh, challenges ahead now. Do you guys ever think about what your pathway might have been if you hadn't joined forces back in 2008? You know, it might have been Pete and Dave or John and Blair instead of Pete and Blair?
0: (laughs) It's quite a long time ago. So, um, no, I I, I haven't thought about it too too much, to be honest. Um, Yeah, I think, like Pete said, just uh, it's pretty awesome thinking back now to, you know, what... Pete was 17, I was 19 when we first started and then just how much we've grown since then and the experiences we've had, it's been yeah, pretty awesome, feel very, very, very lucky to get to represent our country on the world stage like we do, so um, yeah, absolutely awesome journey.
2: Well, we're certainly lucky to have witnessed it as well, but um, just before you go, we're at that part of the show where I get guests to tell their story of their worst wipeout ever. Now, you guys have obviously been on before and, and told one story, so per, perhaps you could fill it us in with um, your worst wipeout you've ever had in a 49er. You want to start it off there, or you don't John, need
0: yeah, there's, yeah, I'll go first. There's been a few good ones, Mike, so it's, um, we've, yeah, maybe not just one each, but I'll go with one from um, way back in two thousand and nine when we just started sailing the forty nine, and we actually oh I know where he's going. Um, we did the coastal classic on the uh, on the on the forty um, so one hundred and twenty miles from Auckland up to, to Russell in the Bay of Islands, and uh, been going about three hours or something. We'd already capsized twice in Turi Channel, and then we were going really good. We must have been going like an hour and a half straight on port. And we we're going just past Sail Rock, so way out there in um, in Breen Bay, and uh, this wave just disappeared from underneath us. And we just did this like two sail reaching, probably at eighteen or twenty knots. Just did this mean sort of half pitch ball where we both went flying into the front of the boat gunnels. I think did I get a hematoma on my leg, Pete, or you? I can't remember. One of us did. <laughs> um, it was pretty pretty gnarly. So that was um, one
1: one we'll remember. We did one after that as well at Cape Brett, where we both couldn't walk. <laughs> yeah we could hardly get back into the boat a big lull and couldn't get in and...
2: Got <laughs> God if that event's not brutal enough you know doing it in a 49er and then you both can barely walk
1: yeah. oh. we
0: try to get parts Cape Breton in a southwesterly in a 49er with all those um, woolly walls and
2: stuff pretty, pretty hard. <laughs> yeah and what about you Pete
1: oh oh yeah. well, I don't know it's hard, hard to pick one isn't it but, yeah, you could definitely think of a few. We had, we um, got a good photo of one in Palmer. Um, can't remember probably what would have been around 2015. We kind of hung on to the back of the wing and was kind of like up in the air. Sitting on, on the wing. And straddling the wing. Straddling the wing. <laughs> um, so I think we still got up. I think nearly everyone capsized in that race and we still kind of Managed to get up and, and finish in not too bad a shape, but uh, it's been a few good ones in Japan, practising in the big waves. Um,
0: what about the one at the boat ramp, Pete, when we um coming in at uh, Akarana, at uh Oraki there, and <laughs> pulled the center water up a bit much. This is not that long ago. <laughs> I think maybe, oh, it was this campaign, was it, or before Rio, just before Rio? I can't remember.
1: Nah, it. Nah, was, it was London campaign, wasn't it?
0: No, it was after that because we were reasonably good and we pulled the center up too much and capsized and this guy was in there pulling his boat out, just been fishing, cleaned out his fishing rods at the top of the the mast and ended up half on the ramp. So um, that's why in skiffs you never laugh at anyone making a
2: mistake on the ramp
0: because it could happen to you.
2: (laughs) And you're like, don't worry mate, we're the best in the world, check us out.
0: No, we had to get... uh, get them some new fishing rods but
2: <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant well look i know how busy you guys are so look thank you so much for coming on the podcast today good luck uh, with both the Sal gp you've got an event coming up in san fran fairly shortly and there's always the now the back the in the back of the the calendar is the america's cup as well so good luck with those um we look forward to welcoming you back in the 49er for the 2028 los angeles olympics so um yeah well hopefully anyway
0: nice <laughs> thanks for having us michael and just uh, um, everyone i know Pete said in the video that we did um with announcement a week or so ago but thank you very much to everyone that's um been part of our journey over the last 14 years
1: Definitely loved it <laughs> yeah awesome hey thanks michael and yeah like Blair said and we said the other day, but you know we massively appreciate everyone that's supported us along the way, so um, and hopefully continue to support us in the future.
2: Definitely. Thanks, guys. All
0: right. Thanks very much, mate.
2: My thanks again to Pete and Blair for making the time to chat about their 49er sailing. It was great to get them back on Broadreach Radio, and we'll aim to do it again sometime in the future because there are so many parts of their sailing careers that we haven't touched yet if you've got any feedback on this podcast or any others in the back catalogue you've listened to or have a suggestion on who you'd like to hear from then drop me a line at michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz in the meantime we'll catch you back here for the next one take care